Keep Nintendo weird, everybody. It's me, Seth. Happy as always to be here with you today. Uh, guys, this is a special episode of Keep Nintendo Weird. This is The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Maybe my favorite game of all time. I always have a weird... I know that's like a thing. Like, hey, if you're going to be here on the internet, you have to have, boom, plant your flag in the ground. What's your favorite game of all time? Boom. You know? Um, but I've never... I don't know. Like, I, I've always had... I, I love video games. And I've always had a really hard time, like, narrowing it down to just one. But if I had to... If I had to narrow it down to just one game, it, it would probably be The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Um, Legend of Zelda is my favorite video game franchise, and Majora's Mask is handily my favorite Zelda game. It's not even close. And in terms of how it relates to this show, because this may be one of the more mainstream, in quotes, uh, games we ever cover here on this show, but... It is absolutely a weird Nintendo game. The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask is bonkers. And uh, we're going to get into all of that, of course. I think it's also a really important game to Nintendo's soul. Um, it's a really important game to me on a personal level. It's a game that I grew with. It's a game that I um, learned a lot from. And, and we're going to get into everything uh, as we get into the episode now, I will say I, I have a couple of things to say before we kick it off, though. Um, this episode almost met with a terrible fate, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, if you follow me on Twitter at KW Podcast, then you will know that I delayed this episode uh, by a week. It was supposed to go live last week. If you know, retaining the the biweekly upload schedule that I do. Uh, I made the decision to delay it for a few reasons. I had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life. Uh, it was my wedding anniversary that week. Uh, that day, even, was actually my wedding anniversary, like, on the 20th. Um, the day before was the first anniversary of my cat passing away, which was really, really tough. That was a tough day. And... Um, I had some scheduling issues with the guest that I had lined up for this episode. And so I just, all of those factors kind of, you know, made me choose to delay it. Um, and I'm not going to get super into, you know, talking about uh, the guest and, and like the scheduling issues and whatnot. Because that kind of stuff just happens. And it happens all the time. It's not the first time. It's not going to be the last time. But, you know, scheduling issues did happen. And so, um, unfortunately, we, we had to... Um, move in a different direction with the episode, uh, not involving a guest. And what that means is, this is going to be the first ever episode of Keep Nintendo Weird that's going to be solo. And I've never done a solo podcast before, I don't think. I've been doing podcasts for a long time. I don't think I've ever done a solo, a completely solo podcast. So... This is going to be a very unique experience. What that means for the video version, it's not just going to be... I think it would be kind of visually boring to just have you, like, stare at me, staring into the shotgun, talking for, you know, 30, 45 minutes or however long this is going to wind up being. So what I'm going to do instead is, as we've done in the past, I'm going to supplement the video version of this with uh, Majora's Mask gameplay, courtesy of Longplay Archives, as always. Uh, of course, there will be links and full credit to them. Uh, in the episode description, of course, you know, we want to do completely right by them, but I do not own the gameplay that you're going to be seeing if you're watching the video version. Um, yeah, so I guess, 
I guess it's all the preamble I wanted to get out of the way. I uh, there, there's I'll say a, a couple of little I guess announcements. Um, we did start a Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash all in podcast, and I've been playing a bunch of stuff over there. So if you want to, you know, hear more of my voice than you already do, I'm sure you're sick of it. But if you want to hear even more of it, uh, you can hang out with me and, and play some games. And lately I've been playing N64 NSO games, of which Majora's Mask is going to be one of them. And I will absolutely be playing Majora's Mask when that hits the service. But in the meantime, I've been playing like Ocarina of Time and Mario 64 and just kind of bouncing around and having a lot of fun with that. So anyway, we're having a good time over on Twitch. I just wanted to shout that out here on the show. Um I'll, I'll probably do some kind of rigmarole. I don't know. This is all going to be an experiment, you guys. This is all going to be a weird, wacky experiment. I've never done a solo podcast before. I don't know how it's going to go. It's going to be, I mean, just like Majora's Mask, there's something kind of beautiful about the way this worked out because here we are. It's my favorite game of all time, Majora's Mask. It's a game that in itself was like a massive experiment and me doing this solo is kind of a massive experiment. So... There's something, I think, kind of weirdly beautiful about that. So, um, yeah, I, we'll, we'll see how this goes. And, and um, I, I, it's yeah, it's Majora's Mask. And by the way, another really kind of serendipitous thing is as it all kind of worked out, I'm sitting here recording this on the 21st anniversary of the game's North American release. So it, it all just kind of, if you'll pardon the pun, the moon sort of aligned weirdly for, uh, for this episode. So... Anyway, without any further ado, let's get into it. Let's talk The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, my favorite game of all time. And let's keep Nintendo weird. So where do I even begin to talk about The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask? As I've said, it's probably my favorite game of all time. It's an incredibly special game to me, and I apologize in advance that this is essentially going to be, like, less a video essay or a, like, audio essay or whatever, and more just the uh, ramblings of a madman who just loves this game, but... Um, I'm going to talk about the game in both an objective and a subjective context. And what I mean by that is I want to tell you a little bit about the development story of the game. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm not super interested in sitting here and talking about like diving deep into gameplay stuff with it or being like, this is my favorite boss fight or this is my favorite dungeon or whatever. Some of those things may come up as I sort of just stream of consciousness here, but, um, but I'm not super interested in like being granular about it. What I really want to talk about is what makes this game so special to me personally. Um, the way that I grew with the game over the years and sort of how it came to be what I consider to be my favorite game. So objective stuff first. Uh, the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask was released, at least in North America, on October 26, 2000. Again, we're just right there near the 21st anniversary of its North American release. And you probably know 
Uh, a little bit about the development story of the game. I'll kind of briefly go over it. The idea being that when Ocarina of Time came out, obviously it took the world by storm. I mean, Ocarina of Time was this massive undertaking for Nintendo. I think it was like a four or five year development cycle. Obviously an iconic game. Ocarina of Time changed everything for video games, quite frankly, much less Nintendo, much less Zelda. So when it came to doing a follow-up from Ocarina of Time, the idea was, okay, well, we already have this engine and graphics and everything that we we worked so hard for uh, to, to make for Ocarina of Time. And the, the question then became, like, how do we follow that up? And can we follow that up since it's going to be on the Nintendo 64? Can we follow that up very quickly with the same engine and graphics of Ocarina of Time? Uh, the idea initially was to make kind of an Ocarina of Time master quest from what I understand. Um, but that idea kind of quickly morphed into uh, what became Majora's Mask. Basically the idea of this three-day time system that will kind of allow them to utilize these same assets, like making the game kind of, you know, from a data perspective, more compact, but kind of, you know, providing a gameplay depth uh, that was not possible otherwise. Uh, apparently the 1998 film Run Lola Run <laughs> was a big inspiration. Uh, the idea of the kind of like time loop thing apparently came from Yoshiaki Koizumi, who is a now legendary, you know, figure at Nintendo and has been at Nintendo for a long time. Koizumi is the face of Nintendo Directs more or less right now. Koizumi was, you know, he would go on to direct like Super Mario Galaxy, which is like one of the best games ever made. Um, very, very important figure at Nintendo, uh, Koizumi. And he is, from what I understand, chiefly responsible for the core uh, design idea behind Majora's Mask. And him and series producer Aiji Aonuma got together and kind of fleshed out the story of it. And it's always interesting to me, right, to see the way that video games kind of take the shape of the people making them. Because they're art, because video games are art and artists make these video games, they kind of become representations. The art becomes a representation of the artists making them. So when you're looking at a situation like Majora's Mask, this game came out, what, just barely a year, a year and a half, maybe after Ocarina of Time. And of course, Majora's Mask did wind up utilizing a lot of those same assets, and you'll see repeated character models and stuff like this. So you can only imagine the sort of actual claustrophobic constraint that the, the development team must have felt um, making this game. So I think that's really interesting, and I think that kind of comes through in the product, because Majora's Mask has this sort of looming, oppressive darkness to it but it's so much more than that there are a lot of people that will spend a lot of time talking about how dark and creepy Majora's Mask is and it certainly is but more than just dark and creepy and weird or whatever more than just like the three-day time system that you either love or hate or whatever Majora's Mask is about not just time, not just darkness, not just death, even though that's a huge 
part of the game, and I'm certainly going to get into that. But Majora's Mask is a game about hope, too. And the notion that that life is worth fighting for, that it's even even when things seem hopeless, even when the inevitability of death is always there, it's always it's still worth holding out hope and it's still worth fighting for. That's that's the overarching that's a big takeaway that I that I got out of Majora's Mask. But let's um let's rewind the clock. Man, how many how many time puns do you reckon I'm gonna get out of this? Um let's let's go back to when this game came out, right? So obviously I was pretty young, and we were talking 21 years ago in my early 30s. So I was pretty young when this game came out. And even younger, obviously, when Ocarina of Time came out. And I really loved Ocarina of Time because everybody did, right? Like, we, my, my friend Justin and I played the code off of the cartridge of Ocarina of Time. Absolutely loved that game. It blew my mind, completely changed my idea of video games because the first Legend of Zelda game was my first game ever. And that already was such a special experience to me. But then you come into something like Ocarina of Time and it's like, what in the world is this? Even more than Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, it's like it came from outer space. So obviously, when Majora's Mask entered the picture, I was very excited. Because Majora's Mask, if you don't know, not only is it a canonical sequel to Ocarina of Time, like, it was pitched that way. Like, it is it is very much a sequel to Ocarina of Time. The game starts off with kind of a pre-rolled cutscene, a pre-rolled text cutscene and everything, setting up the events of Ocarina of Time and how awesome Link was. And it, the, the events of the game start because Link is looking for Navi, his co- his companion in Ocarina of Time. He's riding on Epona. It is, it is so a sequel to Ocarina of Time. It's very front-facing about this. The Ocarina of Time itself is a core item in the game. So anyway, knowing that and coming into all of this with kind of like the the pre-expectation of Ocarina of Time, when I was younger, I really did not like Majora's Mask at all. I thought it was too dark, too creepy. It scared me a little bit. The three-day time system I felt was like really, I thought it was bad design. I was like, how lazy, how lazy is this that they couldn't make a full game where you can take your time and really like dig into it? They had to limit it to three days. And how in the world am I going to do everything this game wants me to do in three days? This this game's awful. And I carried that opinion for a long time. Like, even as a Zelda fan, I continue to be a huge Zelda fan. Uh, and I just held that opinion, though. Like, I always disliked Majora's Mask for a long, long time. And I replayed it, you know, kind of um, as it was released on GameCube and that kind of, like, dual disc collector's edition or whatever. Played it again then. And still didn't really warm up to it. Still didn't allow myself to like get it, I guess. And it wasn't until Majora's Mask 3D came out on the 3DS where it kind of clicked for me. And this is just, this is February 2015. So this is not even seven years ago. Majora's Mask 3D comes out and just totally blows my mind. I, when I finished that game, I, I did a complete 180. My jaw was on the floor. And the reason for that is, is I sort of came into it with fresh adult eyes. I came into the game and I was able to look at it through the lens of being an adult. 
and through the lens of somebody whose life experience opened themselves up to this game's message in a way that I just couldn't appreciate when I was a kid. And I'm going to get a little more personal here on this episode of Keep Nintendo Weird than maybe you were prepared for, and I apologize for that. But um, growing up, I was always... I've always struggled with depression and anxiety and especially as an angsty teen and stuff like this and all the, all those chemicals rolling around in your, in your brain, all of those uh, never played nice with me growing up. And I had a really weird warped idea of death and I really was at once scared of it, but also uh, I would get into these dark places where I was kind of, I mean, I I don't want to trigger anybody, you know, with talks of suicide or anything like that. So I'm not going to like dwell on it. But I mean, like, yeah, like there, there, I had those moments growing up. I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. Um, and so I had a strange kind of perception on death that changed a lot throughout the course of my life. And I think that I, I can think to a few moments that when I think about death as a concept, a few moments in my life really stand out. And there are the brushes that I had with that kind of stuff in, in the dark times in my life growing up, um, coupled with the when, when my grandfather passed away in 2009 was a huge crippling blow to me. He was my hero. Uh, I loved and, and continue to love my papa. And when he when he died, that really got me thinking about death a lot. Not my own death, but just the concept of death. And so when Majora's Mask 3D was re-released and I had my 3DS and I was like, okay, let's give this game another shot. I was just like so stricken by how elegantly this game tackles that theming. How elegantly this game approaches all of the different facets of death and its inevitability and like, Oh, it's, it's handled brilliantly in this game. And I think such a big reason for that. I think one of the smartest things that Majora's mask does is right at the beginning where it kind of does the typical, it kind of does the typical thing with, with like Metroid, you know, the, the famous like stripping the hero of, of its power, like stripping, like, Oh, you did all this awesome stuff in the past game. Well, let's take that all away so that you have somewhere to go. Right. And with Ocarina of time in particular, I mean, that entire game is the most, that that is like the hero's journey, right? That is, you're the hero of time and you go through all these odds and you beat the big bad guy. And you know, you're, you become the hero, the courageous hero with this mysterious Triforce that you were always meant to be and blah, blah, blah. And you fulfill your destiny and you save the world and you're so big and powerful and awesome. And just like this game right from the outset completely eschews all of this. It, it, it makes it very clear immediately that this is not your typical Zelda game, that this is not Ocarina of Time. And again, it starts off with Link looking for Navi, riding through on Epona, going through the the forest of the Lost Woods. Um, Link gets ambushed by Skull Kid, his two fairies. They steal the Ocarina of Time. They steal Epona. And you get transformed into a Deku scrub, like this little piece of crap Deku 
And when you make your way to Clocktown, which is the hub of this new land of Termina, you literally go through like an Alice in Wonderland hallway where it's all like distorted and warped and you are not in Kansas anymore, dude. Like you go through there, you're in this new world of Termina and you get to Clocktown and you are treated like the, the straight up like racism and the the way that you are looked down upon as a Deku scrub when Link is transformed. This is after all the stuff happens with the happy mess, uh, happy mass salesman, terrible fate, all this stuff, blah blah blah. That 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 already happens. You get to Clock Town with Tattle, and you are just again you're treated like less than a kid. Like it's not even just like oh you're a stupid little kid. It's like like they are they are awful to you. And what's so brilliant about the way the game rolls that out is it allows you in that initial three day cycle, it allows you to not only come to grips with like the way that that works. Like not only does it force the player to kind of wrap their head around the three day cycle, which is going to be a prevalent mechanic, the main mechanic throughout the entire course of the game, but it also teaches you the inevitability the the way that you can't it won't be possible you cannot do everything in 3 days like you you can't do it all in that first cycle you know like there's a constant reminder a literal physical constant reminder that you can always look up in the sky and see that now famous big you know looming moon with a face on it for some reason that is just imposing and intimidating, and it is always there to remind you of what's coming. Always getting closer, the clock is always ticking, the music's always getting just a little bit faster until you get to the third day and it's just going buck wild, and you've just always got the inevitability of death of the moon that is going to crash into the clock tower and kill everybody. It's always there, and the game teaches you that right away. But until you get there, it also teaches you through the use of that of that first three days that it allows you to interact with the it allows you to do stuff like play hide and seek with the kids in the town. It allows you to, you know, figure out the mechanics of the Deku scrub, the way that the Deku scrub controls differently, the way the Deku scrub can interact with like the flowers that you can find. You you learn all of this stuff. Right there in the first three days in that initial cycle. And it's really brilliant. I really love that you, that like you're not just like such an important part of what makes Majora's Mask uh, special to me is this is not a story about, oh, I'm the hero of time and I'm awesome and I need to save the day. As a matter of fact, throughout basically the entirety of the game, Link is not ever acknowledged as like, oh, you're the amazing hero of time. Like it's not about that. You are just, you are positioned and you in that moment feel like a person helping people. That is what you are. You're not the hero of time. You're not this awesome, almighty force that is destined to save the world of Termina and everybody loves you. No. You start off as a Deku scrub. You work your way to getting your ocarina back. You work your way through all of this and through your blood, sweat, and tears through your perseverance, and through your sheer force of will to help the people of Termina, only then, only then will you push through. 
And I just find that so beautiful because like, not only that, like, but the, the three day system, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people disparage a three day system as being something that is not very like gamer friendly. It's not like Majora's mask is the most non-traditional Nintendo game maybe ever. Um, Ocarina of Time completely laid the groundwork for every 3D Zelda game that would follow it. And Majora's Mask could not be more opposite and could not revel more in being more opposite. Like, Majora's Mask is unlike any other Zelda game that came before or since. It didn't care. It didn't need to be. And I'm, I love it for that. So, anyway, it's not a story about being the hero of time. It's not a story about Link being awesome and the chosen one and blah, blah, blah. It's about helping people. And I just love the way this game presents that to the player. And the scale of Majora's Mask is small. There's only really four dungeons properly in the game. There's, you know, the, the world of Termina is not huge at all. And it doesn't have to be huge. It's not trying to be huge. But, like, in that, in the small scale of the game, there is so, so, so much depth. And that all comes from the characters and the individualized story that the game takes time. For a game that has, like, a, a stringent time limit over the entire thing, for a game that makes a time limit, the central mechanic, it does so much to take time with it. You can spend entire cycles just helping just helping you know two characters who are trying to get married who are cursed and are trying to break their curse and get married you'll have to you'll have to spend an entire cycle if you want to do that it's like the most intensive and and like complex side quest in the entire game and you'll have to dedicate an entire loop just to pulling that off and it's and you feel like it's worth it and then similarly, like there's a situation on Romani Ranch where you have to help them uh, fend off an alien invasion. That's another thing. This game has some buck wild things that happen in it. Fend off an alien invasion. Help these two sisters. And if you don't, you can even see what happens if you don't. You can come back after that's happened because all the things that are happening on the clock are all happening independent of Link, independent of your involvement. If you're there to help, great. That stuff's still going to happen even if you don't, though. And if you come back after the abduction, you can actually see Kremia, who has been lobotomized. It's nuts. And the way that these side quests tie into other things, your reward, in a, in a typical Zelda game, right, you do a side quest and you get like a heart piece or you get some rupees or something like this. Your reward for doing the side quest in Majora's Mask is more Majora's Mask, essentially. Your reward is like, hey, I'm, you know, the, the one I, the side quest I just talked about is a perfect example, the Romani Ranch side quest. When you do that, you get Romani's ranch, or uh, you get Romani's mask, and all of a sudden you have access to the exclusive milk bar that's in Clocktown, which opens up another cast of characters and possibilities. And it just all feeds into making the world of Termina and the characters and and these these people that feel like real people. Like, there's an entire side quest that you can do 
of this guy who is raising these baby chickens and is sad that he's never going to see them grow up into being their full potential. And so you have a way, there's a mask that you can wear to dance with the chickens and lead them in his direction, make them like have accelerated growth. And he gets to see the chickens grow up the way he wanted them to. It's stuff like that, man. And and it deals with all of these, all of these different facets, all of these different, like things, the, these way, the, the way that these characters unpack the inevitability of, of what's going to happen for example, you have a character like the postman who knows what's going to happen and is internally scared. I think there's like a diary that you can read of his where he talks about how scared he is of dying, but is so like committed to his job as a postman that like even on the final day, he's like, he's like, I, I can't leave. I, I still have, I still have mail to deliver, stuff like that. There's like, an argument that you can find with the mayor of Clocktown, who is trying to like kind of calm the citizens and it's all leading up to like a festival. It, it just deals with like the way these characters unpack the inevitability of their own demise in a way that I think is really real. And, and it comes off as it comes off as so genuine and you can tell that it's coming from a real place from the people who were writing it. Um, there's, a situation where you can just help a girl reconnect with her father. It's not a hard quest or anything like that. It's, you know, it's not even like super convoluted or complicated or multi-tiered or anything like that, but you can just help a girl reconnect with her father, literally reconnect with her father who has been cursed. And I, I mean, like, the game does have, like, Zelda dungeons and stuff like this, and I think they're some of the strongest dungeons in the entire series. I'm not going to go into, like, every single one, but they culminate in some amazing boss fights, and you have to, like, reawaken these giants who, by the way, end up being, like, old friends of Skull Kid. It's not even, like, even the antagonist of the game, even the big bad of the game, is not positioned as like something that is just like out to rule the world or whatever. Like Skull Kid is like a scared kid who just wanted friends to play with him again, you know? And and it's just it's just this beautiful story that just unpacks like all of these different facets of being a human being, all these things that we all deal with. And I think it just tells that so 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 beautifully and I, I love the game for that um and there's a lot to be said about like the the time system and you know i could get really granular and talk about things like the differences between the 3ds versions but like that you know talking about stuff like that is so much less interesting to me than talking about like how these sort of like main characters the main masks that you get are based around people who have died and their relationships with the people that they've left behind, which I think is beautiful. The fact that rather than getting, rather than like bogging you down with an inventory full of stuff, like in every other Zelda game, which don't get me wrong. Those are Zelda tropes that I love too. Like I love Zelda games that are traditional as much as the next guy. But the fact that you can build up this like catalog of masks 
that directly influence the way that you interact with this world, this world that you are forced to get to know and be a part of, and this world that you want to engage with, these characters that you want to come to know, and and you care about their day-to-day lives. Like, that to me is so much cooler than just, oh, I went into this dungeon and I got a hook shot. Like, that to me is so much more rewarding than anything else. And I said earlier that I think the game is important to Nintendo's soul. And what I mean by that is it's, it's the, the thing that I keep banging the drum about on this show is, you know, Nintendo makes some amazing games and makes some traditional, you know, games and, and, and we love them too. Like I, I love, you know, all these Mario games and whatever, as much as the next guy, but I love it when Nintendo experiments and I love it when Nintendo like is willing to take those risks and make a game like Majora's mask and give it like a big budget and take it seriously, despite all of its limitations, the way that it worked with those limitations. And like it, like they took that seriously and we see, you know, Nintendo experiment with stuff like breath of the wild and Mario Odyssey and stuff like this. But like, to tell such a raw human story in a very, very risky follow-up to up until that point, their most successful game probably ever with the exception of like probably super Mario brothers. I mean, Ocarina of time was at that point, probably their most, I would have to imagine among their most financial and critical successes to follow that up with a game like Majora's mask is so core to what I love about Nintendo as a company. And I think that it's important for us to remember a game like Majora's Mask for that reason. And I think it's an important game again for Nintendo's soul. It's the best way I can describe it. Um, Gosh, I just, I've been, I can't even believe I've been going for as long as I have just rambling. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things that I want to shout out specifically because there's, there's so much going on. I'm going, my mind's going a mile a minute and I'm sure this is just coming off terribly as the ramblings of a madman, but Hey, this is, this is what you get. Um, I think that this game helped me come to terms with not only the inevitability of my own death, which like I touched on earlier, uh, was something that I was getting confronted with again and again and again, and uh, was something that was a prevalent part of my headspace. Um, this game helped me unpack that um, in ways that were special and important to me. Things that I needed to hear. Things that I needed to see. But again, more than that, it taught me um, how valuable life really is. And how um, how important it is to hold on to everything about it. And even though it's all going to end someday, no matter what you believe, right? Like all of us believe different things. All of us have, you know, whether it be religion or politics or whatever, we all have varying different beliefs. But one thing that we all know to be true is that one day we are going to die. And the way that's represented in Majora's Mask is by this big old moon that's going to crash into the world and kill everybody. One day for all of us, that clock is going to run out. There will be for each and every one of us, for me, for all of you listening to this right now, there is going to be the dawn of our final day. 
right? That's all that's going to happen. And I just think that intentionally or no, this game presents that in such a beautiful, beautiful way and allows us to spend time with that and allows us to cherish the moments where I can pop Tingle's balloon, you know, because he charged me too much for a map or, you know, relish these little moments, you know, reconnecting these people, reconnecting this, this little girl to her father, you know, all of that stuff is so important, completely removing the trappings of a Zelda game, being the anti Zelda game, being just the complete opposite of what came before. I just, I think it's so, so, so brilliant. And I just, I don't know, like it's something that I didn't get for a really long time and it hit me at just the right time. And I come back to it. I come back to it in my mind constantly. Um, I talked in the intro about how I was having to deal with the first anniversary of my cat's passing. Right. And you know, like I've, I miss him terribly. He was like my best friend, you know, but like, we're all going to have to pay that bill someday, man, you know? And I think Majora's Mask just really helped me compartmentalize that. Leave it to a video game to help me really like accept, <laughs> accept my own death. Um, and accept the death of the of the people I love and the you know the the pets you know my my cat the people that I love and the things I love. Um, there's an acceptance to it. There's a darkness to it certainly, but there's also just a beautiful message of hope to it. And I think the the I touched on this a little bit earlier too, but the the way that the game specifically doesn't treat link like he's like the big bombastic hero i think just speaks to a a at least somewhat intentional way that the game is like hey we can all be good to one another you don't have to be the actual hero of time to just be good to each other and you don't have to be the game doesn't even end up being like a hey i need to go there's a final boss fight or whatever but it doesn't become like I need to go smack Skull Kid in the face with my master sword. Like, that's not what it is. Skull Kid, you know, again, this is a very real story. And it ends in a beautiful way, a beautiful celebration and acknowledgement of the things that you've done to just help people. And even at the end of the day, you're just helping another person. And I think that that is just like such a beautiful takeaway from it. The understanding of death, the acceptance of death, but also the hope and, and the, the holding on to what's there, um, despite how inevitable it ending one day is going to be. It is worth holding on to until it does, you know? And I just, I, I love that so much about this game. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm going to wrap up. Um, I, I just really, really, really love this game, and uh, it's 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 taught me lessons that I continue to carry with me. I cannot wait. I there's there's a bunch of ways to play the game. Um, obviously, the 3DS remake. Uh, some people who are like Majora's Mask diehards don't like the 3DS remake for a lot of different reasons. I really liked it. That's the version that floored me. I'm excited to go back to the N64 version of the game when it's released on the N64 NSO expansion pack. I'm really looking forward to doing that. Again, I will be doing a playthrough of that on the uh, Twitch and the YouTube channel. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash podcast and youtube.com slash podcast. Wink, wink, wink. 
branding, branding, <laughs> plug, plug. Um, but I, I can't wait to experience that version of the game again and just like let that all hit me again. Um, it just, I, I carry that game with me. It was more than just like a playthrough. Like I continue to carry that game with me. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's special. It's, it really, really is special. So any guys, this has been a mess of an episode. I know, <laughs> but I hope it was at least somewhat edifying. And if you feel about this game the way I do, I mean, there's so many things I could talk about the, the fan theories and the creepy pasta. And my friend Gabe Durham of boss fight books wrote a wonderful book about, um, about like the kind of ins and outs and the facets of Majora's Mask. That is not what this episode of Keep Nintendo Weird is about. This was just literally me gushing about a game I really love for probably way longer than you care to listen to. So I, I hope it was at least palatable and enjoyable somewhat to you. Uh, I hope it was edifying. And if you love these things like I do, drop me a comment below. If you're watching the YouTube video, you can send me an email, keep Nintendo weird at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at KNW podcast, uh, or my personal Twitter at $2 hero, all spelled out all one word. And I would be thrilled and happy to talk with you about, uh, this special, special game. So, um, yeah, I think that's about all I got guys. Um, this has been The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask this has been Keep Nintendo Weird Uh, keep doing what you're doing, create what you want to create and thank you for helping me keep Nintendo weird (laughs) 